Hey everyone, welcome to the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams. The Influencer Economy is a podcast in which I speak with makers, builders, and creators, people who've launched revolutionary careers online. I am very happy to have Jamie Wilkinson on as my fifth guest. We first connected down at South by Southwest Interactive, had a lot of great conversations down there about media, and wanted to have him on the show to talk about his experiences with VHX, which is a self-distribution platform. So we had so much to discuss. The podcast is divided up into two episodes after everyone was telling me over Twitter and email that they wanted more digestible bites of information. So this is a two-episode podcast. It's a Netflix-style binge dump of audio. So the first podcast, we talk about VHX, which is a really cool self-distribution platform for artists who want to create content and sell it directly via VHX to their fans. We talk about Aziz Ansari as one of his first early victories as a partner and get into his general philosophy about media and his background as a creator of Star Wars Uncut, which he actually won an Emmy for in the interactive category back in 2010 with his current VHX co-founder, Casey Pugh. The second podcast, we talk about Indie Game the Movie, which is a film that revolutionized how you market and launch independent films in this country and globally. We also talk about Camp Dakota and how YouTube stars are leveraging their talents and audiences to launch movies as well. If you like obscure Save by the Bell references and conversations around media, technology, artistry, making stuff on the web, you're going to love this podcast. If you want to hit him up on Twitter, he's at JamieW. You can find him on the interwebs at vhx.tv. And as always, I'm at Ryan J. Will on Twitter. would love to hear what you think. Without further ado, Jamie Wilkinson. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Excited to have via Skype from New York City in Brooklyn, Jamie W. from VHX. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Do you go by, is it VHX TV or just VHX? We usually just say VHX, but, you know, it's the URL. Dot, so it's dot TV. good. Yeah. Okay. So from VHX, we have Jamie W., who I had a bunch of conversations with down at South by Southwest Interactive uh, over barbecue which I've actually taken a break from barbecue since I've been home because I, Overdosed. I ate way too much. So I uh, wanted to have him on the show because VHX is doing some amazing things to empower uh, creative entrepreneurship with in the film community as well as a bunch of other types of categories. So I wanted to just let you introduce yourself to the audience and give a little brief uh, description of what you're up to over at VHX. Yeah, I'm Jamie Wilkinson, uh, co-founder and CEO of VHX. Uh, at Jamie W on the Twitters, and I love talking about media, film, and making stuff. Media, film, making stuff, and you—you you guys do a really cool model where you're helping people like Aziz Ansari or uh, filmmakers sell directly to their audiences and cut out the middleman that would get, have gotten money before. That's right. We've built a direct distribution platform for uh, film, TV content, and all other kinds of kind of premium video content where anybody who wants to sell something that they used to sell on DVD, for instance, can now just set up a website and sell it directly on the internet to their fans. That's cool. How long have you guys been in business? A whopping uh, two years now. Two years. Which in this world, though, this platform didn't even exist previously. So essentially two years is a long time. If you think I, yeah, yeah. And it's really kind of, uh, I think, been a big part of the kind of conversation just the last couple of years, especially as people sort of start to reconsider ad supported only as the only way to go. And even the success of Kickstarter and sort of seeing like creative fundraising really working. I think people are kind of 
it's in the zeitgeist to sort of be thinking about uh, other ways of making money off of your work. I feel like you guys, in a way, fulfill you help fulfill what DVDs would have been a few years ago to indie film. Yeah, exactly. And so we work with tons of kind of documentaries and independent filmmakers, as well as sort of distributors and studios, even TV networks, uh, to help kind of provide like another outlet for the film that's sort of fan friendly. It's, uh, you know, the URL of the the website, it's branded with the, the creator's art, and it's kind of a custom website for them, um, as well as uh, sort of we encourage them to kind of communicate directly with the audience. We turn over all of the data about who's buying the movie and kind of help them build a mailing list so that they can actually be turning those customers into actual fans and sort of carrying their audience from release to release, which is um, kind of an alien concept in the film world where it's sort of like you create a film and then you sell it to a distributor and then you kind of wash your hands of it and move on to the next project. But um, I think that kind of the model we've seen work with music now and then with video game publishing too and then even with like uh books is more sort of like creator centric and more branded with the creator and you're sort of you're not a fan of you know pie or you're a fan of darren aronofsky you know and you would sort of watch him throughout all of his work and hypothetically because you're interested in my previous work you'd be interested in my future work too right so you're taking the audience with you versus yeah and that's something that's yeah, and it's totally not possible at all with all of the ways that you can distribute film and TV content right now. It's like these walled gardens where provided you fit into their very specific formats. It's a 90-minute feature. It's a 22-minute TV episode. It's in this many seasons. You're sponsored by such and such studios or distributors. Uh, you pay the kind of the fees to play. Um, that's how you can distribute into ecosystems like iTunes and Amazon and uh Netflix works like solely on an acquisitions basis. So if you've made something, if you're trying to get it out to the world and you don't want to just put it up on YouTube for free, there were really no options before. And we're trying to create kind of a one-click solution for getting that kind of work out there. And you guys have a brand that feels like the VHS era of design. Like we saw Chad. The aesthetics you have are like old callbacks. Yeah, I mean, we're just like speaking from the heart. That's like the generation we come from. You know, the slightly aging tech nerd. Yeah. Yeah. Tech nerd generation. Uh, Slightly is the key word. Slight, you know, right? Like we watched a lot of <laughs> Saved by the Bell. You know, right. we're cool. Right. Uh, yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, it's funny too just how much it's played into sort of like our pitch around helping create kind of a new format for digital distribution and hearkening back to sort of metaphors and things that people understand and riding on top of that as much as we can. What if you got a Saved by the Bell reunion on VHX? Oh my God, it would sell so well. You I would, would like break the internet. How, how fast would you back that on Kickstarter? Uh, without any hesitation. If I saw Zach Morris with a brick cell phone in the intro video. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think that's uh, and that's like the, that should be like the litmus test for creative production now is like how much Saved by the Bell does it contain? I think that's really my life theory and how much Saved by the Bell is in my life with a reference to, you know, the Jesse Spano overdosing on speed. Oh, yeah. Oh, it wasn't even speed. It was caffeine. It was just, <laughs> it's caffeine pills. It was just caffeine. I know. She had a lot it's of coffee. Worst. Yeah, but she was like, you know, that was, she called the, the meth epidemic way before it even happened. They were so ahead of their time. So, yeah, they got Mr. Belding in that video. I Screech? Think. What's Screech up to? Screech is, I think he's making porn. No. Yeah, yeah. You didn't hear this a few years ago? No, that's yeah, amazing. He, yeah, he, like, was in the gutter and he had to. Dustin Diamond. Dustin Diamond had a fine, rumored to be Mike. D's brother for many years. No. Remember that? There's all these rumors that Mike D from Beastie Boys was Mike Diamond and Dustin wow. Diamond was his friend. It was completely unfounded. I want to believe. You, <laughs> I was holding out for years. That was even before <laughs> internet was, you couldn't, you couldn't Google stuff back then. 
It's crazy. You had to Alta Vista it. Yeah, Alta Vista that. And actually, you guys, you started a site called Know Your Meme. Uh, that's right. Yeah, that was kind of my previous uh, big project, uh, which is kind of a database and a video series documenting viral videos and internet phenomena. And it has a tremendous Google indexing to this day. Yeah, I mean, I that was like kind I of the goal. For like a cheeseburger or like a, a, a LOL cat reference, mm-hmm. and you guys still show up on the first page. Yeah, and that's uh, uh, all props to kind of the the idea of like if you give people the tools to do something, they will go out and do it. You know, it was an Wikipedia style. It's kind of an open database where anybody can contribute. And the origin of that actually was the fact that um, I use I'm a big Wikipedia editor to this day. Oh, you still and are. yeah, I mean not as much as I used to be. So but, you, you write um, all the VHX posts that are completely biased. Oh yeah, I mean I, God, that's such a conundrum. By the way, <laughs> I have a strict no. I do not touch anything related to myself as a good Wikipedian should not. What are some uh, of the best entries that you've helped edit? Uh, well, so all of the ones that I made for internet memes got deleted, so I can't point to those. Um, and that was actually the origin of Know Your Meme was that I kept creating articles for like Grumpy Cat when Grumpy Cat was like small meme kind of thing. Just for example, I didn't actually create it. And, um, Before Grumpy Cat got it. 50k for uh, appearance fees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and and that's the thing is that like in the early days of an internet meme, nobody thinks it's notable. That's the whole idea of it. Be kind of before it's blown up, and uh, Wikipedia very strict policies about what you are and are not allowed to uh, share there. So, know your meme is like a was it an answer because Wikipedia was being more controlling than you expected? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's it's so funny how much of a parallel that is to the story of VHX too, right? Is that it's like there's these gatekeepers who who have decided they do and do not allow these other things. And it's like, it's the internet, man. You know, I'm just going to do it. So how did, did you go from Know Your Meme to VHX? Was that your transition? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I, I worked at an ad tech startup in San Francisco for a while. And then uh, my co-founder, Casey Pugh, and I um, worked on this project called Star Wars Uncut. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that was actually kind of the the big project before VHX where we were working together. And it was a crowdsource recreation of the original Star Wars film. Um which was like Casey kind of an idea bubbling in his head. And at brunch, he's like, I've been thinking about chopping Star Wars up into 15 second pieces and letting everybody recreate it. And I was like, that's crazy. That's never going to work. And uh, totally, totally works. People love doing that kind of stuff. Was that from a rights perspective you didn't think it would work? Or the fact that people would take time to make like dog videos of Star Wars? I think it was more, yeah, it was more skepticism over the whole thing getting done. Like I, I think I felt like... Uh, there would be a lot of like initial interest, but there wouldn't be a lot of follow through necessarily. But just the opposite, man. I mean, when you like tap into a community of people and you kind of give them an outlet for something to do, uh, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna jump on it. And you guys, you were nominated for an Emmy. We were nominated. We won. We won, won a primetime Emmy in uh, 2010 for interactive media, outstanding achievement in interactive media, nonfiction. It's amazing. Was it the Fiction. first year of that category? Uh, it was a couple years in and, and for the most part, it's like major studios doing iPad apps and like second screen experiences or like community website kind of stuff. But, uh, we were up against Dexter and Glee, uh, so it's like uh, big, big corporate, big corporate things. Yeah. Teams of like, you know, 50 people, a hundred people or more. And, uh, this was just like a couple people from Brooklyn working in their part time, uh, working their spare time on, on kind of like a passion project. And Really humbling, actually, that the Academy would, would kind of even consider uh, people kind of outside the system like that. But I think it really speaks to everything that's going on in the space, right? Like people are interested in real innovation and seeing interesting things going on. And um, even inside, you know, something like a hundred year old institution like the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. So how do you describe Star Wars Uncut? 
I mean, if you, if you explain it to like my mom or yes, uh, someone who's not an aging tech person. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, right. You can't use the word crowdsourced, right? Uh, so Star Wars Uncut, it's inviting everybody on the internet to help recreate a movie that everybody loves and doing that by kind of chopping it up into really bite-sized pieces of work, which means in this case, 15 second scenes. So there's 480 odd scenes in the movie. And so all you have to do is claim one and then go grab whatever local camera you have and film it and then upload it to the site and call it a day. And, um, then through the, you know, through the power of the internets, um, you know we built the software to allow people to kind of vote on scenes and when you're watching the movie it's sort of sequencing the scenes together to kind of show you the movie in like the most upvoted order uh because there could be multiple scenes for each scene oh interesting so you could see five different versions of one scene yeah and then we've gone through and even tagged a lot of it now so that you can look for like just the lego scenes or look for just like the kids and um and we're doing it now for empire strikes back too and uh we're actually really honored that actually lucasfilm has blessed the project that's cool um and it's totally non-commercial. It's just all like kind of a passion project, but um, it's something where it's operating under the auspices of Lucasfilm, uh, nay Disney. Uh, but they're into it. They love it. They love how, seeing fans do stuff with it. Yeah. How did they? How did that come to be? Was it a process? They were really into it right from the beginning. Actually, I think they reached out to Casey and said, "Hey, you know, we really like what you're doing. Um, can we like get on the phone?" And that's sort of how the dialogue started. Where it was them a little bit sort of outlining their uh how they delineate like a commercial project which used to license the star wars brand from sort of a non-commercial fan project and it's as easy as you think it is which is like if you're going to try to sell it you need to pay us money um but if you're just doing this because you're a star wars fan we think that's great and we want to support you however we can that's great and then how what was your funniest memory like what's the best scene that you like because i saw a few had dogs in the legos you mentioned and they're out there like some have like you know brilliant production value of like crazy special effects and some are filmed in a guy's garage yeah yeah and i think that's like my favorite part about it it's even like my favorite part about vhx is seeing sort of like the range of creative production where it goes all the way from you know like feature film quality all the way down to like literally me in my bedroom drinking tecates pretending to be obi-wan and luke skywalker and i think i think that's, that's some your, of my favorite that's your, scenes that's your like scene? the, yeah i'm seeing like 137 <laughs> I think uh, drinking Tecates drinking Tecates and I'm, uh, I'm Obi-Wan and I, I grew out my beard and rubbed flour in it to try to make it white but that doesn't really work very well but we did it anyway that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, those are my favorite scenes. Like I love like there's a lot of amazing animation especially because like I think that's one of those things you can be alone guy or gal in your bedroom and it looks like you've got a team of 10 people working on it um whereas with like the live action shots like it's pretty hard to do a good live action shot and there's actually one um that's like a go-go like go-go girls darth vader intro thing kind of in the beginning of the movie which um every now and then when we go to events we meet people who are like oh i made a scene that's in that movie and this woman was like the uh, head of marketing for The Gap or something. Mm-hmm. And she was one of the people in the scene. And it's so funny, like, seeing what people do on the weekend. Like, you know, it's like I run The Gap uh, by day. And on the weekends, I'm dressing up as Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then that was a complete passion project, spare time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was really, I mean, you know, it's called Star Wars Uncut. Like, it's got Star Wars in the title. It's like a, yeah, a shot for shot recreation of Star Wars. 
Yeah, so it's up available on YouTube for anybody to watch for free, and so we'll link to it uh, in the blog post for this. Awesome, yeah, and it's well, I mean, that's kind of the early days of of what got our gears turning around how you know to to make money and succeed and sort of like the the internet creative ecosystem, um, and then winning the primetime Emmy, like getting to go to these Academy events and talking with the people who sort of control all the rights around all this content. Like my first question would always be like why can I not get any of this stuff when I'm outside the US or why can I not get any of this stuff until a week after it's available or why is only some of your stuff on Hulu or on these other sites like why are you making this so difficult for me and they're like oh just go buy the DVD and I go I don't have a DVD player man like yeah. what do you want me to do and they, what, do you, what do you mean you don't have a DVD player I was like well if you haven't noticed like Apple stopped putting DVD players in their products and I buy Apple products uh, you know iPads don't have DVD drives like what do you what do you what are you doing to help me here? And um, it was lots of blank stares and lots of shrugs and lots of uh, like don't rock the boat kind of responses. Yeah. And that's that's sort of like what, what kept this this idea of helping on the publisher side. Like we were kind of operating on the consumer level and uh, Casey was one of the early employees at Vimeo. And so we've always been in sort of the video space like in generally on like the creative side, on the, on the, on the production side. But um, we really started thinking more about distribution because it, it became so pa painfully obvious how from the top there was no desire to change what they were doing. And they were not going to suddenly lower the prices of their work and make it available. They're not going to put it up on YouTube for free. Like They're not going to do anything interesting. Um, and it's sort of up to us as like, you know, bootstrappy young tech dudes to uh, try to go out and help make that happen. Some, somewhat aging. Yeah, somewhat aging. Just so, aging enough. <laughs> just aging enough, barely aging. Um, so then you started VHX, because does that help you to relate to the creators? Because Aziz Ansari was one of your first early successes. Mm -hmm. And when you worked with him, like, how did that happen? And then also, did it help that you were a creator in getting respect from these artists? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we really do uh, empathize with with what people are trying to accomplish. And like, you know, having worked in, uh, we created Know Your Me while I was working at Rocket Boom. And so, you know, we always struggle to make ends meet with with video and creating video all the time and sort of working just based off of ad supported stuff on YouTube and trying to sell custom campaigns and stuff. Like, it's a it's a hustle. It's a grind. It's really hard to get by. Um, and so that's how we sort of structured the whole business is around sort of identifying the most artist-friendly distribution routes possible, the things that help them with their career, like long-term, the most. And we just defer to that in all cases. And it's kind of what's good for the consumer, what's good for the publisher, that's what we're going to do. Oh, that makes us less money? So what? Like, we're drawing like a line from where we think everything will be in five years and ten years, and then just kind of working backwards from there. So it's a, it's a long-term thing. Yeah, and with Aziz Ansari... Um, who we met uh, through a mutual friend of College Humor, where Casey used to work at Vimeo, which was part of College Humor. Um, it was the same story. Like he's a, a super digitally savvy guy. He's got a really fun Tumblr blog. Like he's hilarious on Twitter. Um, and yes, he has a TV show. But I think he, he had like very much like an internet first mentality right. with this. And yeah. he's looking at something like iTunes, where it takes six to eight weeks to deliver your file. You have to like send them a hard drive. It costs you to pay. You have to pay money to get it mastered. And he knows that it's just an MP4 file, you know. So he's like, "Why can't I just put an MP4 file on my website, put a PayPal button in front of it, and start selling it?" And we're like, 
we had exactly the same thought. Why don't we work with you on that? Right. Totally. It was that simple. And, and it, re- it really is. And like, I think that the Louis, Louis C.K.'s direct release was like a wake-up call for us and I think for a lot of people in the space in terms of how easy it could be and how well fans would respond to that. Uh, where if, you know, the goal should be, let's make, this, let's make paying for it easier than not paying for it. Because at this stage in the internet, you can find your audience. So you don't have to be a blockbuster filmmaker if you can sell to your fans, like indie game, the movie gamers, there's like, you know, a billion gamers out there. It's not, yeah. it's not like you have to, you know, be some mainstream entity. Right. You don't necessarily need billboards all over LA and you don't need Super Bowl ads. Like that's not the name of the game online. And I think sort of coming from the internet production background that we have, like we understand that it is this audience building hustle rather than sort of this like create a massive media frenzy event and and try to use that to get it out there. And so what kind of advice do you give people that are trying to create a film? Do you say to grow your audience immediately and try to cultivate that before the film comes out? Yeah, we uh, just launched this slash creators page where uh, we made kind of like a mock timeline of, of you know, making a movie, what whatever that means to you. Um, and it starts with like, pick a name for your title and then register the domain name right away. Set up like even the most bare bones possible website. And so we've actually built the whole VHX platform to sort of cater to this idea that you should set up a site super, super early because you can have a mailing list sign up there. You can put up your trailer. You can be building search engine placement. You can sort of like get the, the, the beginnings of it going and then oh, you can launch like a crowdfunding campaign and use that to contribute back to the audience that you're building. And you could offer pre-orders there. You can offer like, that's where you release sneak preview clips. And it's because it's, a, it's the web, it's you know desktop web, it's mobile web. You have deep analytics into what's going on, where the traffic is coming from. You are seeing the email addresses and sort of like the geography of your customers. You're able to communicate directly with the customers, with your fans. And this just opens up like doors that the old model of like, I'm going to stick it in someone else's store. It doesn't even give you access to that at all. Right. That's actually awesome to hear that because with the book, I'm writing the influencer economy is a place to get ideas out because writing a book takes nine months Yep. and trying to build some sort of brand awareness within people that would be interested in this book theory versus waiting to put the book out and doing some blast or like media frenzy, as you say. Because mm-hmm. you want people to know who you are before it comes out because they can be part of the experience. I feel like Kickstarter in general, those email updates you get mm-hmm. are the best email. That's the best email marketing out there. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so we're, we're, we've actually launched kind of like a we've soft launched kind of an equivalent feature on VHX where uh, I think Kickstarter is amazing. We love Kickstarter. We lo- I love the updates feature. And the only problem with Kickstarter is that once the campaign is closed, that list is closed. Uh, and so we want to make sure that it's something where you can take that audience that you built up during your Kickstarter campaign, roll it back into your site, which is sort of like your central hub for all doing all this stuff, and then keep the updates coming in that way. So you own your email could, list. Yeah, and people could buy into the updates. Like the idea that it's like you pay a dollar, you pay five dollars, and you get like the lowest level tier reward, which is just like access to the production diary. Uh, we wanted you to be able to expand that list. Right. So in the end, you're giving ownership and control to the artists. Always. And that's like always the mantra, which is like, is this giving as much control and and access to fans as possible? And it's a pretty easy guiding principle when you realize that it's like, oh, the future is fans and creators directly 
you know, working directly with each other. And it's kind of like the creators are the ones who know the most about the project, who understand it the most, who understand the fans the most, kind of the audience that they're trying to reach with something. So it's like, why wouldn't you give them every tool to reach those people? 